Hey, welcome back to the Gymnazo Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hughes, with one of my biomechanical colleague specialist friends, trainers, Mitch, and we're going to dive into the shoulder joint. And Mitch and I have had actually a lot of fun recently talking about the biomechanics and digging into, honestly, the nerdiness of what I think about movement. And the shoulder joint is one of those joints, as CJ and I spoke about last uh, podcast or podcast or two ago about the knee joint, it's kind of one of those like really complicated joints that has so many friends, so many avenues to go. And as a trainer, right, we're really looking at how we can train and condition this shoulder, but also have it from a rehabilitation stance or a restoration stance and how we can get around as trainers, but also see if we can add more to training and conditioning the shoulder than has ever been at least generally accepted from this industry. So we're going to dive into it deep, have a lot of uh, personal stories from clients that we've had, and uh, really see how a trainer can understand or an athlete understand what this amazing shoulder joint is and all of its 3D awesomeness super crazy joint almost like the hip and uh, i'm excited talking about it so uh, let's get ready to dive in and explore the biomechanics of the shoulder welcome to the gymnasio podcast where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top five percent of boutique fitness studios for revenue but to be honest that's the least important thing about us Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches, this podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business, to how to program for maximum results, to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. Mitch, this is a topic that you and I have both done extensive studies on um, through, not studies, like case studies, but like researched and looked into it and education. And uh, through the years that we've been looking at the shoulder, I want to know, like, is it from a ranking standpoint, how challenging is it for you if someone comes in and says, I have a shoulder problem and you want to train and condition them? Yeah, if we're going to scale this probably on like a one to 10 scale, we're like one's easy. 10's pretty challenging. Okay, deal. Uh-huh. It, it's probably up in like the, the, the seven and eight range mm. and up. And definitely depending on the, the population that you're working with. You know, if you're a little bit younger, maybe a little bit lower on the scale, but if they're a little bit older and um, have some wear and tear already on their body, it's definitely going to be up on like that nine or 10 scale yeah, with that. It's a challenging joint, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's so much complexity to it. Like how, how do you how do you kind of break apart the aspects of the shoulder? Someone says literally I have shoulder pain on an intake. Like where's your mind go? I try and understand where they're feeling the discomfort. Hmm. Yeah, and what and with what? Um, is it achy? Is it discomfort? Is there a lot of discomfort just at resting? Is it with movement? Is it with hmm. Good question. simple ADLs of life like driving or you know cooking, whatever it may be? Hmm. Um, or is it more just gym specific and gym related? You know, does it only hurt in the gym itself when you're lifting weights and doing other things like that? Yeah, interesting. Um, and then from there, that kind of helps almost narrow it down to a certain degree. Um, in a weird way, it's like it, it kind of eliminates certain options I might be thinking of on that one there. And 
then I kind of just go from there with it and start to take them through some assessments and other things like that to help narrow it down. Mm -hmm. But trying to understand where the discomfort in the shoulder is coming. Is it coming from the anterior side of the shoulder, mm -hmm. lateral, back, um, underneath or inside, just to help understand what might be influencing that discomfort more. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I always have a series, I think a checklist I would go through. Oh yeah. Share that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it really all depends. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a checklist still. Yeah, exactly. There's still a checklist. <laughs> um, so there's obviously the big rocks that influence the shoulders. Like, you know, you have the rotator cuff muscles that will influence the shoulder. You have, you know, you have the pec muscles that will influence, influence the shoulders. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have the lat that does it, the subscap. Um, all of these areas that influence the shoulder and then more globally into the hips. But usually that doesn't necessarily for me start until after I start to go more locally at it mm. and start to That's see that. I'm writing that, da writing that down. Um, Cause does it only hurt with certain motions? Um, which I'm really curious. I'm really excited to talk about some, some clients that we've worked with cause it just literally happened yesterday with someone I had an assessment with. Perfect. But if I can understand when the shoulder feels the discomfort and where it feels a discomfort within the motion or within every, whatever action they're doing it in. Mm -hmm. I mean, me as a practitioner, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't have x-ray vision. You know, we can't see into the shoulder, unfortunately. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, phase three. <laughs> but it at least helps me eliminate quite a few things. And that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking into it and going, okay, I don't think it's that. And I don't think it's that. So let me go to this. Hmm right away yeah right on so I, when you say the word assessment like it immediately my mind says well let's just move the shoulders in six different patterns right flexion extension um horizontal abduction and abduction and then actual abduction and adduction right and since we're on film now right we're just reaching our hand up behind us down behind us over the top to the right behind our back in in a sense or to our side and then across our body rotation and an opening. I don't want to spill my glass of water, which I did in the last podcast, but we did, it wasn't filming. <laughs> and across the, the, the body opening up, right? Those six patterns, you can see a lot. Now, what do you look at? Like if you, because I know you do that, or at least that assessment, there's more. And I'm really curious to see what more you do, type one, et cetera. You know, um, what are you looking for when you're li literally having someone extend their hand in a range of motion or flex? Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, there's, there's probably two or three things that I think I generally look at. One, is it just the shoulder independently moving? Like, is it just the humerus moving in that joint only? Got it. Or is there integrity into the rest of the body? Like, mm. is, it, is the thoracic spine moving with the shoulder? If you're, you know, doing a, a, a reach behind you, like if you're in a passenger seat of your car or a driver's seat of your car and you're reaching back, mm -hmm. like, is it just that joint or just the humor is moving in there. Mm -hmm. That tells me a lot right there. That mm -hmm. might mean that there's not enough integration within the rest of the body. And that shoulder joint is starting to just get overworked all the time. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of helps you understand a lot more about this person and that body. So it's like, I look at that and go, cool, we need to get more, more things helping you out. I think that's a gold nugget. We just said right there. Like, yep. that, you know, it's kind of like that traditional style of training where it's like, you're just going isolation. And I think a lot of people are so used to that isolated type of exercising where you just do like an overhead press or a lateral flat or whatever it is. And it's like that shoulder joint just only learns how to work independently of, it, of everything else. Mm. Um, 
So I'm definitely like when you're going through different reaches, it's like, great. Like if you reach behind you, are you seeing that thoracic spine rotate? If I don't, that tells me one big thing right there. If you're reaching overhead, am I able to see good thoracic extension? Hmm. Not just through the spine, but even through the thoracic, through the rib cage as well. Like that's a big, big thing that I look at as well. Um, yeah. Do I, you know, and then also like the traps play factor. I just look at the traps and I'm like, are you shrugging? <laughs> like, I think most people just shrug. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that tells me it's like, maybe they don't have enough integration into the, the core muscles or the lat or anything yeah. like that. And that's also another big sign, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's really interesting. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's like, is it gym related? Like, do you only feel pain when you're exercising in the gym? Like say you're doing a row, mm-hmm. like, you might just be gripping that thing with your hand and it's all forearm and bicep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right. You know, and you don't get any of the bigger muscles in the back to help you out. Like maybe the rhomboids, traps, lats, you know, even the core muscles as you go into them, like, are those contributing or is it just purely dominant, isolated arm exercise? Like you probably love the exercise because you feel like you're getting a great pump and a great workout and your arms look good. Hmm. You know, you go wine tasting on the weekend, you grab that glass, man, you look shredded, but like, doesn't like holding that 90-degree bent elbow, <laughs> exactly. alcoholic bet beverage. <laughs> exactly, but like having that polo shirt just right over the cusp of the bicep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But like, I don't speak from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but so like, like I look at that and go, okay, well, you know, once again, like it's just too much on that joint itself. And bench press would be the same thing. Mm-hmm. on there too so it's like you're just using those delts to push that bar up and some triceps and stuff like that and you're just hammering that joint itself and you're not using anything else like the pecs yeah um, biggest muscles right yeah right but like you want those to assist you yeah and um a term that that we share uh that the uh, grain institute taught us is uh peltruncula mm-hmm. and it seems like some uh like a frankenstein type of word but uh pel pelvis trunk thoracic spine and scapula, you know, are those three working in the, in, are they assisting? Are they friends? Are they in the motion pattern? And that's exactly what I thought of when you're saying like, is, is everything moving together, right? Are you seeing the thoracic spine, the rib cage open up? Cause if you're not, it's, yeah, you're, I think you said that perfectly. It's by itself. Right. And if you think about most people in their habits and their lifestyles these days, um, even active people, but like, you know, cyclists and stuff like that would probably suffer from similar things. Like a person that would sit down all day just because mm-hmm. you're in that flex position all the time. And it's like, you're just compressing the front end of your body, limiting your, your movement. You're not getting access into those tissues. And then you want to go work out and do the same things, but it's just, now you're not using it as well as you could. Yeah. Gosh, I think there's like seven, ah, dang it. I apologize. Uh, 16, 17 different muscles that connect just to the scapula. I think it's about 17. Is that, yeah, is that what it is? 17. Yeah. 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 Oh, we're going to say seven, 17. We're going to say 17. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so what kind of dysfunctions? Let's, let's bring up that, that client of yours. What would you see? Yeah, this was interesting. So she had a, uh, I'm not going to name any names at all, but, you know. Uh, client A. Client A. <laughs> client A. Um, she came in with a lot of shoulder and neck tightness, uh, history of CrossFit, uh-huh. um, which I don't necessarily think is bad if it's programmed correctly but it certainly tells us the type of program that 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 they do but it tells me a lot about what they've been doing a lot of vertical overhead pressing with high load and high reps Um, recovery and tissue maintenance isn't quite there like it needs to be and so 
Um, they were doing an online wad, like a mobility wad, mm -hmm. and I believe it was left shoulder. Both arms were back with like a, a stick mobility or like some type of stick they were using, and they were holding a position for a period of time, and like the shoulder just kind of like, I think what ended up happening was, in the moment it felt really good, but I think it was almost too strenuous on the tissues, mm -hmm. and then the next day or the day after, they went and did some kind of wide grip, overhead clean type pressing motions, mm -hmm. and then just kind of just went on her. Not, not a pop, not like a, I don't think it was a pop or anything like that where it's like, oh, like, you know, a drastic snapping thing that would be like, that's, that's yeah, done like for. Yeah, like you're going in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was more like, that doesn't feel right. Mm. And now it's hurting. Um, and that was on one shoulder. And then the other one, I can't exactly remember exactly off the top of my head, but um, the other shoulder, I think, was just starting to get overworked and fatigued. And then that one started to go out a little bit more. So like, it's the simple thing of just reaching behind your back. You know, it's like um, big backpacker. And <laughs> so she couldn't even get her backpack on because she couldn't get the arms on the straps to pull over to her shoulders. So she had to help with that. And that's like one of those things where you're like, okay, now your training is limiting the things that you like to do, which is the exact opposite of what training should be doing for you. Mm. It should make it easier for you. Like your training should hypothetically. Funny concept. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, well, that wasn't helping you. <laughs> like, to a point it was, and then it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, now we have to kind of have all these behavioral resets in the sense of trying to build trust back. Right. And, and Yeah, I'm sorry. Please, please. And so I basically took her through, um, we did our normal, what we call 3D maps assessment, mm -hmm. um, and then found out some really great things. I just basically took her through like a single arm or a bilateral arm swing matrix and then a single arm swing matrix with different reaches and other things like that. Starting off with motions that I knew would be super easy and not discomforting for her. Okay, how'd you know that? Right, I mean, you know, right. I, I, that's what I, I love it. We are ingrained in this. So like, how do you know what motions would have been successful? Um, we sat down for the first 10 minutes and she just described to me what hurt. Okay, so you listened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I love it, I love it. Yeah, yeah. so she was just like, uh, X, Y, and Z hurt, reaching uh -huh. behind my back, going overhead. Um, I can't do this and that. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. So I know you can't do that, which means those motions probably used to cause you pain. Now there's maybe just more restrictions and less pain at this point because mm -hmm. it's been a couple of years. But I knew those things at one point did cause pain. So let me take you through the ones that didn't cause pain just to build a little confidence. And then let me start taking you to the ones where I know you didn't want to go originally. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that point, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, now I can really see where it is. But what was interesting was um, the thoracic spine and the communication with the hips during that assessment was really fascinating. Almost zero thoracic spine flexion, or was it extension? Uh, zero thoracic spine ex extension on her when her legs were in a lunging position. You eliminate the lunge, hmm. and then there's much better thoracic spine flexion and extension. God, which, my mind spinning on this one. Yep. Which starts to relate to more shoulder flexion and extension too. Mm -hmm. Once you took the legs out, you're like, oh, that looks a lot better. Now, there's still a lot of local areas that you need to go and address with soft tissue work right. to help address some of the damage that were, was done in those areas. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to interject here. I have an idea and I have a thought process on when you say into a split stance or a lunge, RXXL, mm -hmm. RXXL lunge, what happens to the legs, pelvis, tissue that therefore fed into the shoulder. What do you think about? 
I immediately go into that anterior hip complex. Yeah, right on. Right into that psoas and then um, that diagonal fascia line, mm -hmm. or even just the um, the same uh, lateral chain, essentially. So it's like left hip, left lateral core, left shoulder. Right. Um, which is also something that I took her through a test, and it seemed more of like um, kind of more of that anterior diagonal line from mm -hmm. left hip to right shoulder. It was mm -hmm. really gunky. So it's like I'm looking at those things, and then I take the feet out of it, and it looked a lot better. So detension, the anterior pelvis, right? Hips. Right. Remove the tension, and the, up, and the thoracic spine can go where it wants to go. Add too much tension, it robs the, th the thoracic spine of motion. Too much tension in the pelvis, front anterior hip, as you said. Then that robs the, th the thoracic spine, therefore. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm spelling this out because I'm, you and I have been talking about this stuff for what? How long ago did you go through? I mean, just before even you, you did a gift, right? I mean, five, going on five years. But the, but the conversations have been much better since I went through. <laughs> but it's but but you know, you know the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's been well, pretty much daily, yeah, at least weekly. You know, with our once a week meetings. You know, but yeah, okay, got it. Okay, perfect. Okay, so yeah, then what? <clears throat> so. I basically found that out. And so in my mind, I, I kind of looked at it and go, okay, like I know there's some influence in the hips right now. Now there's a lot of stuff between the hip and the shoulder too that needs to be addressed. So she's a professor. She sits down a lot. Now she has a standing desk, but that doesn't necessarily reverse all the sitting down that she's done in that flex position. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at, um, you know, how does the hip and the rib cage associate with each other? You know, is it just kind of, you know, is that bottom rib to the top of the hip and the anterior part of your body, just really short and condensed. And does that need to be opened up to help with the shoulder too? Yeah. You know, yeah. if we were just to follow up the chain, this is kind of just my thought process. I dig it. Keep on you going. Know? And then into the pecs. That's the next thing. Um, looked into that and you can basically just start, start to kind of see the bigger influences. I think I kind of lose my train of thought on that, but yeah, but you're following the chain reaction. Yeah, I mean, you're going. You you saw the road. It's the anterior diagonal, which is uh, it's a left shoulder, right? Uh, both shoulders. Okay, so just, just, perfect. So we different. so we can pick pick one. So let's let's go right anterior hip, ilioso as hip flexor, literally to left pec. Yeah. And what what and what's in in between? I mean, what you got? I mean, everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the entire anterior part of the entire rib cage. You know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so got, so got it. And then. Um, now this was just a movement assessment, right? It wasn't necessarily a, a session, a treatment, right? You were just assessing or did you have an opportunity to be like, to like, let me get in there a little bit. Let me see what I can do. No, we ended up spending about an hour and a half together. Okay. So um, you had a little bit of time then. Yeah. I didn't have, uh, I, I had a little, little nice gap. Okay. And it was one of those things where it was like, it was I, a bleeding heart moment. I can <laughs> know I can help you with this. <laughs> yeah. And it's also one of those things where like, let me show you the value as yeah. well too. So, um, I basically just put it on the table and I went to two places. I went, Pec minor and subscap hmm. right away. Um, so, you know, you, so your strategy was to start local. More behaviorally, too. No, I know. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I totally get I Yes, yeah. love that, right? Um, and primarily because there's a backpacking trip at the end of this month. Okay. So it's like, you need to get the backpack on. Mm -hmm. I can go to the hips right now, but like, you know what? That's not necessarily being a problem with your day-to-day -day stuff. Like, you can still hike. You can still do all the things that you want to do. Gosh. That's, that's fine. Man, I'm writing down. I'm going to come back to this. Yeah, go for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, ultimately, those will have to be addressed and integrated within the shoulder, too. But I think just more behaviorally speaking, like just being frustrated and having those issues constantly, 
like let's just let's just try and solve that mm -hmm. let's just try and get you to a point where you're at like a you're fed up at like a nine out of ten let's get you to like a six yeah right because you, you know? at least go on the backpack trip right yeah like let me just at least be able to get you to get a backpack on easier mm -hmm. and so i like the strategy so um saw great results just in like 20 25 minutes of soft tissue work in those uh, four areas if you do left hand right side um some light stretching and yeah i mean it was really interesting too because even going into the true stretch and just putting her into some simple positions that wouldn't necessarily um, load the tissue that much you could see the the binding or just the holding of tension behaviorally in that area hmm. and then you know i'm a big fan of breath work within stretching you know especially in those situations like teach the tissues to calm down like i feel like it's like localized sympathetic nerve system like sympathetic system like in that localized tissue so it's like holding on to that trauma so if you can get that breath work to just kind of teach it to calm down and relax in that position and just be like hey it's okay yeah. like we can do this like you can be in this position and not freak out now in her mind she's not freaking out she just goes oh it's really tight but that tissue has this mind of its own and it's like we're not we're not used to doing this mm -hmm. so it was like just hey hold that position there doesn't feel like much of a stretch but once you don't feel the stretch turn a little bit more and then hold and breathe turn a little bit more hold and breathe and over Man, over time i love just, this it just like starts to work yep now that's just working right now of course but you know we just need to get to a point where we can start to move without the discomfort mm -hmm. and then start to kind of progress out of that yeah and yeah, i'm gonna take that whole thing like uh, so like going going locally like you saw how the hips were directly influencing the, sh the sh uh, shoulder, right? In one plane of motion, right? At least, an at least with the anterior positioning, right? Forward and backwards. You put forward stress on the pelvis, right? Through a stride stance, RXX, you know, right foot in front of left, left foot in front of right, lunge position hold, and then the spine couldn't do what it wanted to do. Um, so I'm kind of thinking it in my head here, and then the shoulder couldn't get that overhead position. Okay, got it. And you knew that if you went after the hip, you could get more thoracic spine then, and therefore get more shoulder motion. Because last time I checked, the glenohumeral joint is connected to the clavicle. And the clavicle is literally the only thing that connects the entire shoulder complex structurally to the body. And that connects to the rib cage. And the rib cage is connected to the, to the thoracic spine. I'm just gonna jump over the lumbar spine. And if you get extension through the thoracic spine, you're probably gonna get extension or good extension through the pelvis or through the hips, rather, excuse me, not the pelvis, but the, but the hips. So therefore, they're, they're directly connected, not even to mention the scapula. And instead of going after the, what I would call the big dogs, you went after the smallest ones possible, mm -hmm. but you did so because they have shoulder pain. And if you start doing some iliopsoas adductor work, when they come in or assess them for shoulder discomfort, you have to fight a much bi a bigger behavioral battle, right? right. They, ha they have to trust you a whole lot more knowing that you're starting way down at the, at the, uh, at the uh, pond, the stream, and they're screaming about a waterfall. Right. You know, you gotta follow that stream all the way up. So you went right into the direct muscles that control um, or limit or restrict the overhead motion, subscap would be one, and then you said the pec minor definitely is another one, and there's several others that, that do that too, and you went in there, and uh, 
therefore treating that person in a way like I'm going to go right after your shoulder or, you know, you didn't touch the deltoid, right? But you went in, you know, to those areas. Um, and then you position them in a position that was comfortable and then let that interconnective web of fascia t- uh, tissue literally spread itself out just by breathing yeah. because the fascia is literally connected to the shoulder. And every time you move your diaphragm, you, ther- you therefore move your shoulder. I think that's pretty awesome. It's just micro movements. Yeah. Right there. I think, I, I think I, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And she's an extremely intelligent person. So it's like, I even kind of broke down like, Hey, look, these adductors, these front hip muscles, this hip complex, like it's influencing it. But, and she's like, okay, I totally get that. And so she's totally on board with understanding that. So it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once again, it was like, we need to get you to a point right. where you know yeah. where you could do these yeah. things. It's not solving. It's like uh, it's like for a lot of athletes, right? A lot of athletes they play injured. They play with pain, and that's kind of especially professional sports and NBA finals. Uh, uh, gosh, I'm going to really show myself here. I apologize. Either just finished, or are in the last few games here. Don't. Yeah, this is not dated. It's here. This podcast is not dated, so. <laughs> No one's going to (laughs) know when it's posted is not when this was recorded. (laughs) Um, But they're hurt. They're definitely hurt. They're definitely hurting, right? And they make it happen, right? Hence athletic tape on ankles with basketball players, right? Um, What what, what I'm bringing this up is that, like, you said, as at least what I would say, like, I want to give you perfect motion, you know, 90% motion back. But that's not going to be possible in, well, three and a half weeks. But so let's get you as much as we can so you can do the task. You can play the sport. I'm going to tell you the roadmap after that, but let's get you to play the sport, the hike, the trip, and then we'll come back and we'll dive deeper. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of like understanding that, understanding that we're here to serve them. We have obviously our education and our experience, and we want to make things right. I mean, I, I think as a trainer or as any sort of person who works with therapeutics, you want to fix it. You want to, and you want to fix and like, at least for me, like I'm like, I am definitely a perfectionist and I will definitely go to like, I'm going to make this thing as dialed in as possible and do nothing until this is fixed. That's where my heart, that, that's where my mind goes, where my heart goes like, that's idiot, that's idiotic because the shoulder has so many influences, literally inversion and eversion of an ankle joint can limit the range of motion of backwards reaching or forwards uh, reaching of a shoulder. Like it's, it's that deep. Right. It's that deep. So fixing a shoulder, I'm using the word fixing, putting it into an environment where it can heal itself through training and conditioning is very challenging for a shoulder because you cannot not use it. Right? It's just, it's so, it's so important to the, it's like fix a car engine while the engine's running. That's what pretty much brain surgeons do and heart surgeons do. That's pretty awesome. But a joint that's physically in movement all day long or prepositioned, like even me sitting at this desk right now, like me holding this pen, like it's, it's in a position for me to write. It's, it's like ready to go. Um, I have a, a client just worked with this, this morning, um, nasty ski accident fall. Um, no surgical requirement needed, but sling for a long time. And though the... Connective tissue, though the ligaments are now healed, the doctor says, you're good, you're good to go. Literally was the phrase, go for it. You're free. 
she now has to recover from the sling. Like we're not even treating the ski accident anymore. And in fact, we, we, we never were. We're just literally getting her out of her shoulders position for the sling and how that muscle memory, like you, like I think it's so fascinating. When we move our shoulders, we move it in such a pattern that we think it's just like, oh, that's just the way the shoulder should move. It's literally going through a pattern, like for the most part in our day-to-day lives that is, you, is unique to us. And it's so interesting that it becomes that muscle memory path. And you have to literally break that muscle memory path and form a new path. Um, and we have tools and ways to, to, to do that. But it's really challenging. I, I find, I, to me, the shoulder is the hardest joint for me to work on. Um, I understand it a lot, but it just, like, expects slow growth. Yeah. That's just my, that's my thought process on it. I've dislocated my left shoulder twice. And I've also, like, sprained my knee when I was a kid a couple of times, too, from skateboarding. I would rather go through a knee injury than a shoulder injury hmm. every single time. What happened with your shoulders? Just, uh, just, just, just fell. Dislocated like the first time I ever went snowboarding. Oh, the first time? <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. It was on a birthday trip. Oh, <laughs> even worse. Oh gosh. Yeah, that, that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty painful. But like, that was the moment where, and this is years before I even started here and doing any of this. And that was just one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever had to experience. Like, have fun going in the shower. Have fun sleeping. Have fun getting it out of the car. Have fun trying to do anything. Putting like, on clothing. Putting on deodorant. Yeah. Like anything. Like a knee. I'm like, oh, I can immobilize that. I can just not put weight on it. I could easily lock that thing out and just not move it. Mm. Done it before. Yeah, true. You Fair know? enough. Yeah. But Relative like, to the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. You get some crutches. You're fine. Like shoulder, you can't move without it, without it moving. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can't take a breath sometimes. People say, I, I'm breathing and it hurts my shoulder. Yeah, which tells me a whole lot about where the problem's coming from. But yeah, you know, um, but yeah, it's uh, that's um, gosh, yeah. Um, uh, frozen shoulder is probably one of the most the more challenging ones that I've that I've come across. And I'm curious what what your um, answer is to, because um, the way I look at a frozen shoulder is um, it's been there in hiding for a long time. The shoulder has been moving improperly for years slowly just like a car tire slowly wearing away a little bit faster than you should be turning too sharp accelerating too 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 sharp and then you go do and clean the house and you just rock and roll and you're cleaning some ceiling fan and the next day your shoulder is literally in like i can't move mode and it's so surprising to clients when when they see this because like it came out of nowhere you know and like or they slept wrong one day and their shoulders just locked down. And it's really fascinating how like a frozen shoulder, how the, how the capsule literally becomes like solid. It's like plastic. It's really fascinating. And the treatment, some treatment for this is, you know, besides the physical therapeutic side of it is literally let me put you under, let me put you in, in literally knock you out. And then manually, as you're literally knocked out on a table, in a surgery center, let me just forcefully move the shoulder so you don't feel it, to break up the capsule. Like, I get the concept. You know, it's not, it's not a bad strategy, but, man, that's pretty invasive. So um, what's your strategy on a frozen shoulder? I, honestly, I've never worked with one. Okay. Well, um, then let's dive into what the possibilities are then, right? right? Most of the time, I just like it's usually like some impingements, you know, some uh, just soft tissue restrictions. I think the... Probably the most challenging one that I've had to deal with is not challenging, but um, 
one of the more extreme ones for someone who was 70 was just recovering from a, a broken humerus. That was, that was, that was probably it. Yeah. You know, but, but never a frozen shoulder quite yet. So, well, to me, what I look at frozen shoulder, it's like the extreme of all the shoulder injuries just manifested into an, uh, a shoulder that really just says no. I've been pit- I've been pissed on so often. I've been overworked so much that I'm really at my limit. And until you get all my friends to help out first, I'm not going to move at all. And then some people wake up like one day and it's gone. It's really this. I don't know. Like there's a whole lot of. We were talking to um, a colleague of ours, Lenny. Like he's like, oh, it could be dietary too. Hmm. You know, you change. Anyways, so to stay into the biomechanics of it all. Um, with a, with a frozen shoulder, because it hurts so much, just to like just get that lateral kind of motion, that 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 abduction up, um, it's like you got to go after the hips. You got to make sure that you can move purely there. You got to go after the, the thoracic spine. Make sure they got amazing thoracic spine lateral flexion, rotation, extension. Then you go to the scapula, and that scapula's got to be just loose. Well, it has it's a stable joint, but it has to be very capable to move in all the different ways. And it's a lot of manual work. A lot of manual work and so much of like behavioral unraveling because they want to move their shoulder and it's so apparent you just they're it's just all trap yeah. it's like they go to raise their their hand up and the trap goes first and like oh man okay like how do you unwind that and it's really just training and conditioning right yeah. that's the name of our job train it and condition it over and over and day after day you're gonna eventually win but um, that's been that's been the hardest one um, to my taking because it is such it's it's like yeah it's the ultimate manifestation of I'm mad and I'm not gonna do nothing when I get mad I just do nothing <laughs> don't look at me don't talk to me don't even stand next to me. so I imagine that's what a shoulder is going going through. Um, what do you see training and conditioning? Because you've worked in the traditional gym. Uh, interesting story about Mitch and I is that we both come from essentially the same background um, in the industry. We both worked at big box gyms first, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then found our way into gymnasio. Um, I certainly found my way into it, and so did Mitch. And we both worked, literally worked at the same big box gym. Um, so we have a lot of fun, fun stories about that one. Um, what do you see a lot of general pop, a lot of people just going to the gym that isn't good for their shoulders? And let's get kind of detailed. I actually, um, I really appreciate coming from box gym a lot because you get to really understand two different sides of the training world. You get to understand that the isolated muscle building side of things, mm-hmm. where you, all you do is concentrate bicep curls and tricep curls and bench press and, and you live it too. So you get to, you experience it. And so it's like with the shoulders in particular, it's like, and I've definitely been at fault in this in my younger, younger years of training. Guilty. Yeah. It's just overload and isolation. It's like how many anterior dumbbell raises can you do? How many lateral flies can you do? How many overhead presses can you do? How many narrow grip bench presses can you do? And then you're going to do it over and over and over and over again. And then, you every know. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Every, exactly. <laughs> like, seriously. And then it's, it's not only that, but it's also well, there's only one way to improve your shoulders, and that's by to progressively overload. Well, great, okay. And then you do that over and over and over again, months, months on end, years on end, most likely doing the same routines with slight variations from a dumbbell to a cable to a resistance band. Well, great, you're still stressing the same tissues in the same joint in the same way over and over and over again with very little 
tissue maintenance for most people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, if you're a professional athlete, you can probably get away with it a little bit more because you're going to spend, you know, a million, million and a half on your body to be able to get the proper recovery. But guess what? Gen pop's not going to be able to do that. Nope. And so you just, you know, you just end up seeing all of this just isolated and concentrated work just on those delt muscles and some of those just the the localized tissues in there. And you're just like, oh, it just looks like it hurts every time. But the deltoid looks so good. It does. That nice softball right on the top of your shoulder. I mean, you can see it in your shirt right now, man. It's just a, it's a good looking it's a good looking piece of tissue. Sometimes you got to walk sideways through the door. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, um, I I started in fitness by literally reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding, and I get it. Yeah, and it was fun because it looks good. I mean, yeah, there's some amazing shots of Arnold leaning over a bench. His arms crossed, and you see just two softballs. You right. know, actually, they're bigger than that. To be quite frank with you. Um, um, so, if you were to go back, let's say Gymnasio got transplanted into that big box gym. I don't want to. How do I make this like realistic? And your client hired you, right? What would be a few myths? Like, what would be a few things you'd say? Like, hey, you know what? I'm glad you're working them, but here's what's to do instead. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a couple of the myths might, hmm, it's a great question. Because um, I think it kind of comes down to the word cheating. Right. I mean, one is like I would have to integrate the rest of the body into it mm-hmm. and use the hips a little bit more to help the shoulder out. Like if you want to lift an 80-pound weight overhead, I'm probably going to put you in an upright position and have you at least do a little bit of a squat to get that overhead. Sounds right to me. You know, I might have you do more of like a hip drive, you know, a frontal plane hip drive, left and right lateral to help get that weight out to to the side more, mm-hmm. you know, for horizontal um, abduction, you know. But I'd have to convince the client that that this is what we're going to do because it's so <laughs> unnatural for people to go into a box gym and be like, you want me to do what? You want me to push my hip with it? Like, yeah, I do. Yeah. The weight's going to go to the same area, but you're going to be more efficient at it. And now we have to learn how to control, you know, mass and momentum rather than just trying to just muscle that up right. with all your effort. Yeah, you actually However make... However you're going to do it. <laughs> with your trap or with whatever, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really fascinating. Like, don't isolate. Don't stick your elbow next to your rib cage and do an external or internal rotated banded or cable move. Don't sit down in a chair and rest your, your dumbbells on your shoulders and press overhead. Right. In fact, do move your pelvis. Do cheat. I remember, like, I, I bring that up often. It's like, I want you to cheat meaning I want you to squat and press. I want you to shove the hip over and do a dumbbell fly. And it's fascinating how many people look at me and be like, that's not the way you should do. I'm like, for what reason? Like, what's the purpose? You know, there's so much ingrainedness of isolation through the shoulder. Um, it's, it's like from, it's, I think it really starts like high school, even maybe not sooner. You know, like, but we don't throw a baseball in isolation. We don't throw anything in isolation. Maybe uh, darts. We think we throw darts a little bit of isolation. Just a lot of wrist articulation. Yeah, a little bit there. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I will give those dart players that. Darts, beer pong, you know, all of those. Oh, things. the beer pong. I didn't love that growing up. Not growing up in college. Let me say that more appropriately. <laughs> when we were 21. <laughs> yeah, really grown up. Um, 
But there's so much of, of those things going, and that really leads into a lot of like, to me, I, I think the most common thing we see is just a, a good old-fashioned impingement, yeah. where the humerus is going somewhere faster than the scapula or the glenohumeral joint can take it, right? And it's like, the way I kind of look at it is like, if a, if a door and a wall could both move, right? And a door, and you know, the door is attached to the hinge, hinge attached to the, to the wall. If the wall could go towards the door and the door could go towards the wall, that door would close a lot sooner. Right. Right. Are you, are you following me on this one? I want to make sure. You, yeah. If you're following me, then at least someone else is. Yeah. Okay, and then if the wall went away from the door as fast as the door went away from the wall, the door would open a lot sooner because both things are moving away from each other. And that's kind of how the humerus and the at least the scapula works. So it's like a teeter-totter. You want them to be moving. One goes up, the other one goes down. One goes in, the other one goes out. Right? So if if I'm going to take my arm overhead, then my shoulder blade, my scapula, has to go down. If it doesn't, then I'm going to have a problem eventually. And if I want to take my arm behind me, then my scapula has to go relatively wrap over the top in front of me. And if that doesn't happen, then we're probably going to have a problem in another hundred few thousand reps right. or, then, or motion patterns. And there's also, you know, it's, it's, it's so crazy how much of it you see, but you see people just grab a, a spree band, a resistance band, and it's just like internal, external rotations yeah. the whole time. And it's like, now that, I'm not saying that's wrong. Like there's a time and place for it for certain people. Like maybe sure. that's the best way that you need to recover from an injury or something right. like that. Yeah, it's not wrong. It's just but, limited. Yeah. You know, I think one of the bigger myths is, is like it always needs to be strengthened. Ooh, nice like, point. Yeah. Like, yes. Like, it's a, you, have an, you have a shoulder injury. Oh, we have to make it stronger. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I actually think Big you need deal. to decompress everything around it more to open it up. Mm-hmm. I think you're actually putting too much tension into it, and that's why you're experiencing so much discomfort. Now, you may feel great during the workout because now you've just lubricated the joint a little bit with some motion and blood circulation in yeah. a sense, you know, to, to phrase it easily. But, you know, in the long run, like, when your body cools down, like, there's still a ton of compression within that joint itself and around it, you know, what are you going to do? Just go back and do more? You know, you're just exacerbating, you're just making, exaggerating an issue, you're just making it worse. Yeah. And then what? Like, then you're going to go overhead one day and next thing you know, like, that pec tissue, that lat doesn't move. And then the, you just hear a pop or a snap or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, cause it's such a mobile joint, right? In the grand scheme of things, we go through the joints where the shoulder grabs it lands on a mobile joint the scapula is more of a stable joint mm-hmm. so stabilize the scapula right and right. mobilize the shoulder and therefore move the shoulder with strength but strengthening when it's done creates more tightness more compression yeah by definition it, it, it should do that but you overdo it and so therefore you have to mobilize the shoulder and this and gosh how, how do i want to say this you have to make the shoulder more mobile <laughs> we have to integrate it yeah. It's like you have to make it mobile, but integrate it into the rest. Right, exactly. And the scapula needs to start flying around. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times I literally put, like I'll say, hey, client, uh, feel my scapula. Put your hand on my scapula, and I'll move my, my, my arm around. I actually move my hand around. I said, do you feel how, move, how much my, my shoulder blade moves? So try to, like, that's what your shoulder blade needs to, needs to actually, actually do. And um, I remember going through, like, soft tissue, edu- uh, edu- uh, bleh, soft tissue education. There it is. And realizing that the scapula can like adhere itself to the rib cage, yeah, through the subscapula, you know, like all that fascia right there. And uh, 
to have someone dig their fingertips into your armpit so deep that it goes behind and inside your, your, your shoulder blade, that's a unique feeling. Kind of like unique getting your, your, your psoas deep tissued. Yeah. Like it's like, where are you? That's client B right now. Yeah. No shoulder blade motion. You go overhead, trap, elbow, all tra- yeah, but- trap elevates, elbow bends, put the hand on the shoulder blade. Where's the, it's just it's literally glued to it. Once you get a little shoulder FMR, a little soft tissue work, mm-hmm. you move it. Yeah, they're still clicking, but we only did ten minutes. But clicking is a good thing. It work because at least there's, there's movement now. Right. Right. Yeah, I would say like you know clicking is a good thing from no clicking. Then we want to go back to no clicking. Oh, again. no. There was a lot of clicking, yeah. and there was less clicking. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, they were on that spectrum. That was, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so interesting. I was like, feel my shoulder blade. You feel how that moves in these different directions? She's like, yeah. I'm like, no. Feel yours as you go through reaches. Nothing. Hmm. It was fascinating. Yeah. That was, that, that probably that was one of the biggest takes is, like, is that you, if you want to fix it, if you want to uh, enable an impingement to go away, it's just you got to balance the teeter-totter. And that to me, that's the relationship between the shoulder um, humerus and the scapula. And uh, anyways, that's been that's been kind of that's been kind of cool. Um, okay, this one's this one's pretty pretty cool because you know I, I like to call myself um, pre grad school uh, PT trained, right? That's like all my ed- education was always about physical therapy, f- physical therapy, and the banded rotator cuff muscles. Right, those those drills are like staples. I don't think I've done one of those drills in ten years. Truly, yeah. I mean, I've done them, but not even close to the way that it's looked. So, like, what what would you call like what would you call some like interesting shoulder exercises that the traditional person would be like? That's a shoulder exercise. Like, let's kind of dive in it. Like, you know, let's go to like the integration. Like, think like think about like a plank. Is that a shoulder drill? Like how many ways that you can train the shoulder, but if someone has to, has shoulder just so think about someone's in a workout, and they have shoulder pain with a uh, Viper overhead press. Give me some tweaks. I know it's general, right? Because it all depends. But like you know, typically you say, oh, just go ahead and just go do some ru- some rubber band, um, uh, internal external rotation, you know, teacup, da 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 da. Not teacup, but you know those kind of yeah. things. Teacup's a whole different story, which right. we should probably end on that one in a few minutes, but so talk, talk about some like, some like tweaks, you know, if so, there's a, a trainer listening, is like, gosh, well, how, what do I do about it? Um, it's actually been interesting to do, uh, since we've, since we've integrated maces, a lot of mace work lately mm-hmm. and a lot of wraparound work. Yeah. So it's like me as a practitioner, I'm like, oh, I need to get good at this. So I don't look sloppy in front of the clients. <laughs> yeah, so enough. I'm like, I want to yeah. do a hundred of these all the time. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But it's, what's really interesting is my left shoulder, it doesn't integrate well unless I actually do some, like just some single arm pull downs, hmm. isolate a little bit more. And so I noticed like my shoulder almost wants like sublex when I go into my left arm goes over my right shoulder for that wraparound. Makes sense because you've literally dislocated it twice. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, was, it was really interesting. I was like, well, <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, let's think about this. It's acting alone. It's not getting help. So I was like, oh, let's just do some simple pull downs. So I literally just went to the cable machine, did some pull downs, and went right back to it. And I was like, wow, that's 100 times better. Hmm. And so um, just kind of going on that flow of things, you know, it's like, you know, some of the one-on-ones and semi-private clients I'm working with, I'm like, okay, you want to get better at this. 
but it can't be a, a purely shoulder dominant exercise. Oh, we're going to fatigue you out and there's going to be an injury down the line. And it was more so just teaching the body how to work with the other parts. Like, hmm. let me get the core to work. I need you to get through, to go through extension, thoracic extension, and it needs to be integrated into the bigger muscles surrounding the shoulder. Hmm. And that was a big game changer for myself and a couple other people. And they just felt more connected, you know, just more integrated. And that was pretty fascinating. In terms of training other aspects, like an overhead press or something like that, sometimes it's like I look at it and go, okay, you're doing an overhead press. Well, like we talked about earlier, let me do, have you do a squat. Okay, that helps you? Okay, cool. Maybe you're, you're going too heavy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know. Squat to overhead press. Squat to yeah. overhead press. Mm-hmm. Um, I find a lot of times is, especially, you know, like through the obliques and the serratus muscles, all those muscles that encompass the, the thoracic spine and the rib cage are just glued so if you can create some more mobility with that and be able to get a little bit more traction coming from, from below the shoulder and up, mm-hmm. helps a lot. So it's almost like, you know, it's a really weird cube. It's like I almost tell people to like lift up their rib cage when they're going overhead. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. whoa, that's a big game changer. Oh, I got a story about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a, uh, for those listening, I got a two-year-old and um, shirt was off. His shirt's pretty, he's pretty much naked. Well, he's <laughs> a, a diaper most of the time. <laughs> And um, I was teaching him our warm-up. Awesome. I know, awesome. <laughs> literally. I was like, they brush their teeth every night. We should probably stretch every night too, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and if you're going to start them at this young, you might as well start them this young. <laughs> so um, This kid better be an athlete when he's older. Just <laughs> well, he'd be a very efficient mover. I at least yeah, say that. Yeah. You know, he, he may like drawing and, you know, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, whatever he likes. Yeah. <laughs> but long story short, and he did not tell them, I said, okay, reach your hands overhead. And he's at the stage where he understands everything but says nothing. Um, and literally, he reached his hands overhead. And what did I see was his rib cage go whoop, sucked way up. Yeah. And I'm like, duh, duh. Like, why wouldn't the rib cage help out? And this is, I mean, this is like, this is only if, this is like a year ago. I'm like, I've been missing that. I haven't been actively focusing on that with my training and conditioning to my clients. Yeah. And I was like, as a, I, I say it probably 14 times a day now, just li- when I'm talking about shoulders, like lift your rib cage. And it's a game changer. It's a, it's a whole yeah. active tension thing too, like taking a, a mope stick and pushing the mope stick together and doing an overhead press yeah, or that, pulling it apart. Yeah, it's that irradiation that just I, creates it's, so many more muscle groups. Yeah, it's, it's like your lat pull down to get the isolation going, to kind yeah. of get that triggering happening, a positive one. Um, yeah, super fascinating, but there's so much shoulder use that is constant, but so many other muscles of the 17 that attach to just the scapula that aren't doing much, turn them on, get them going, get the juices flowing and see how, you know, instead of using just four muscles constantly add get, get to eight, I'm sure it's going to be better. You know, you, from eight, you almost have double. You know, actually, you do have double. You know, go to sixteen. It's, 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 there's so many, like there's so many possibilities of how the shoulder actually works in integration. I think that's uh, pretty, 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 pretty sweet. Um, teacups. I think I want to end on the teacups. Yeah. Describe that to somebody. Um, you are a caterer at an event. Ooh, I like this. And you're yep. holding a tray overhead, and you have to bring it down onto a table type of situation. Yep. And so, you can only use one hand. And you can only use one hand. Yeah. So it's like you have to go from an overhead position, keep the food on the plate, 
as you bring it down onto a table without spilling anything on it. Yep. But then also add a reach behind you. <laughs> and pass it to someone behind you, yeah. <laughs> and then pass it to someone behind you. So, you know, your overhead, you bring it down and around. Yep. Super complicated. And it's really interesting, too, because you can see bailouts right away. But then once they start to do it a few times, and then once you start to see the fluidity in it, then you start to go, okay. And I, just, and I should put like a 10-pound plate in their hand. Yeah. You know, load it now. Exactly. It's crazy. And it hits extension, flexion, internal, external, AB, adduction. It hits the entire shoulder right. in every aspect. So way to go, servers. <laughs> <laughs> way to go bus bus boys and girls you but know it's like the most like relatable thing i have to it's like yeah like you have to hold something over and you have to bring it down you can't spill it yeah and what a great shoulder assessment that is and uh we use rubber discs to start yeah right don't drop the disc but you can't grab it though right yeah. and then um i don't i don't think ever i don't think i've seen anyone use like a 20 pound plate yet or 25 pound plate but I'm going up to like five pounds that's about it yeah well yeah, anyways it maybe that'll be a a new challenge for yeah. us I've been even using like a, a lot of cars lately. Oh, it is a concentrated articulated uh, articulated rotations. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. yeah. Where you just isolate the joint out just so you can move the humerus within the, the, the joint itself. Hmm. Just to create some locomotion. Because sometimes I've noticed with teacups too, it's like, oh, you're not ready for that. Like you might Fair still enough. feel a little discomfort. Yeah. And I don't want you to go through that for 20 reps while you still feel a pinch in a certain part of that. So you're able yeah. just to isolate, you know, of those three different things or six different uh, motions, really, mm -hmm. you're able to just isolate them out a little bit more and just hone in and practice a couple of those skills and then go back into the teacups and see how it works more particularly. Yeah. Just so you can refine that line of movement and then refine it even more with all the other motions. Yeah. So I, I like that one. Like, you know, ending this podcast on the biomechanics of the shoulder, do a teacup move. <laughs> Test yourself out. And then post in the comments. Let us know what, what you got, and we'll keep going from there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mitch, thank you very much. I love, these I love the conversation, love the banter, love the back and forth. Um, for all you listeners out there, uh, we have an understanding about biomechanics that was um, not something that we, that we created, but we created a course around it called the Multidimensional Movement Course, uh, a coaching course, excuse me. And uh, it's allowed us trainers to really have a deeper understanding, not only from the movement as aspect of our practice, but from the operations and the systems and the backgrounds and the programming and all those things that really make what we think is a whole, as a well-rounded coach. So if you're curious about that, um, just check out the show notes. There's a link in there. But it really dives into the inner workings of exactly what we're talking about. Because we believe trainers shouldn't just be those people who just give exercises, but can master exercises, master movement. Now, we haven't mastered it yet, but we're in that process and we're having fun with it. So we want to join you in that, in that, um, in that journey. So check out, you can apply for it. And uh, it has changed certainly our lives as movement practitioners and continues to do so with a lot of other coaches that we coach. So uh, once again, thanks for being with us. Mitch, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. And see you guys next time. All right. Hey, y'all, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. 
relaunch this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasio podcast. That's hashtag gymnasio podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasioedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.